Amen. What a great song. Hallelujah. Jesus saves. Amen. And we praise the Lord for that. Let's take our Bibles and open to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 95. Psalm chapter 95. And we started looking at this chapter last week as we were coming into the uh, holiday season with you have Thanksgiving. We, we just celebrated a couple days ago and then Christmas time coming up. And uh, how many of you are still in a Thanksgiving food coma? Anybody still in a Thanksgiving food coma? Right? I mean, you eat Thanksgiving meal and then there's always the leftovers and you so you got to eat those. And then uh, the next day, Friday, there's usually more leftovers and you got to eat those too. And so it's just like... You know, we just uh, eat and eat. Somebody said, Pastor, are you going to be preaching on gluttony this morning? I said, no, I'm not. Uh, but uh, it's a great time to be able to get together with family and, and just to praise the Lord for his goodness and thank, thank him for what he's done. We're going to read Psalms 95 again. It's just 11 verses, and we started this last week and just really got through verse number 3. And yes, I do plan to finish the whole chapter today, Uh, but let's go ahead and read together Psalm chapter 95. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea is his, and he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation And as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works, forty years long was I grieved with this generation and said, It is a people that do err in their heart. They have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest. Last week we began in just looking at the first few verses here, and I love how the psalmist begins, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. We talked a little bit about this last week. There's three different words, uh, come, in this passage. And this word come means let's gather together, let's travel, let's journey together as we sing praises to the Lord corporately as a body of believers. We ought to sing praise just as we have done. And, uh, and just singing those songs, oh say but I'm glad and uh, only trust him. I have decided to follow Jesus. We're all trying to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And we, we saw why it's so important to give him praise, why it's so important to give him the thanks that he deserves, because as we saw in verse number one, he says that he is our salvation. He says, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is the only way that we can be saved? It's not through religion. It's not through something that we can do because we would fall way short of anything that we could ever even attempt to do to please God and salvation. But Jesus Christ came and he gave his life so that we could be saved. Just as the song uh, that they just sang, Hallelujah, Jesus saves. It's not a church that saves or a religion or a person. It's Jesus that saves. We can't save one another, but Jesus can save. He's He's our salvation. And then we saw in verse number three, For the Lord is a great God. And a great king above all gods, that he is our God and king. Aren't you glad that we serve the God? 
Amen? Not a God. We serve the God. There are a lot of little gods out there that man tries to make up, as we saw last week, but we don't serve these little gods that man has made up. We serve the God, and uh, we know that there is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what we would call the Godhead, but we know there's one God. There's not millions of God or thousands of God. There is, there is one who is God, and he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and we have the privilege of being able to know him personally, and so he says the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods and so we give him praise we thank him uh, for who he is but as we come to verse number four I want you to notice as we're continuing kind of this idea of why he deserves our thanks and praise look in verse number four in his hand are the deep places of the earth The strength of the hills is his also the sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land I love how verse number four begins, in his hand, in his hand. You think about this, in his hand, you know what that tells me? That tells me he is in complete control. He's in complete control. In his hand is everything. You think about the universe that we live in, the, the solar system, the Milky Way galaxy, and, and then all of the other galaxies that are out there, and, and everything that we can even imagine with all the, the stars and the planets and things like this, and God says, I just, I want you to all know, I've just, I've got it under control. It's all in his hand. Can you imagine that? That's how great our God is, that he says, it's all in his hand. That tells me that he is, he is in control of everything. And the psalmist gives great detail to that in, this, in his explanation here. Notice, as he says the, uh, in verse number four, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. Again, he's, he's describing, he's telling us why we should give him praise, why we should give him thanks. Think about this. The deep places of the earth. He says, in his hand are the deep places of the earth. You think about, the places that no one has ever been. You think about the the lowest valleys. You think about the deepest places on the earth. I I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, as far as I know, they've figured out that right now uh, the deepest place that uh, on the earth is what is called the Mariana Trench. It's, it's, It's farther down than the Mount Everest is tall. It's farther than the highest mountain deep. And so you think about what he's saying, the, the deep places of the earth. And, and I believe he's not just talking about creation, but he's showing us in this example of creation just who our God is. When you think about the deep places of the earth, I think about the knowledge of God. There's nothing, there's, no, there's nothing that God does not know about. There's nothing he doesn't know. I mean, you, you might say, well, you don't understand the valley that I've been through. You don't understand the thing that I'm going through. I may not, but God does. He knows. Because the deep places of the earth are in his hand. He knows everything that's going on. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows what you have gone through. He knows what you will go through. There's nothing he doesn't know. God knows it all. We think, oh, yes, he knows everything that's happened in the past. And, and if you think about it, I believe it was just yesterday, I could be mistaken on the date, but I believe it was just yesterday that the world population reached 8 billion people. 8 billion people. I can remember back in 
2020, right after, uh, maybe it was 2020, 2021, I believe, uh, when my wife and I were on debutation going as missionaries, it was right at 6 billion people at that time. So you think about this, in a little over 20 years, 2 billion people more on the planet Earth, 8 billion people. And you think God does not just know everything that has has happened in all of their lives, not just my life, not just your life, but 8 billion people's lives. He doesn't just know all that has passed. He doesn't know just everything that's going on right now in your life and my life and the life of 8 billion people. But he also knows what is going to happen in your life and in my life and the life of those 8 billion people. He knows everything. When you try to understand that the knowledge of God, it's just like he's saying, the deep places of the earth, they're unfathomable to us, and and God says his knowledge is just so amazing, we cannot even grasp the knowledge of God. But he wants us to know that he's in control. He has everything under control. You think about what he says next. He says, in his hands are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. Not only does he speak of his knowledge, but he also speaks of his power. The power of God, the strength of the hills or the mountains. When we think of strength, we wouldn't necessarily think of of a hill or a mountain. We would think, when we think of strength, we think of muscle. I know when, you know, when, when you, when the very first thing, when I talked of strength and, and power and muscle, I know I was the first thing that came to your mind, right? Yeah, amen, all right. Some of you are going to need to be at the altar for lying a little bit later on because um, you agreed with me on that and you should not have. <laughs> right. No, he said, when we think of strength, we think of, you know, we think maybe the, of a power of a horse, right? As a horse pulls something and pulls a load or we think about the, the power that a, a lion has or maybe the, the, the sheer, just the unknown force that an elephant possesses just can knock anything over without even really thinking about it or maybe a a bodybuilder or something we think about we think about sheer physical strength but that's not the example that he gives isn't that interesting he says the hills the strength of the hills the strength of the mountains is his also why because the strength of the mountain isn't physical the strength of a mountain is not something that is you grow in or anything like that. There, there's nothing, when you think about the strength of a mountain, the strength it possesses against weather, it possesses the strength against the elements, anything that comes, the storms of, that, that will come upon them, th- that mountain doesn't fear anything. The mountain is not afraid of the storm. The mountain is not afraid of the snow. The mountain is not afraid of the, the lightning or anything like that. And here's the thing. God is not intimidated by anything. Amen. The strength of the mountain is his also. Yes, we can go through storms of life and we can be afraid of the storms and we can be afraid of the, the elements and we can be afraid of things that go on in life. But he says, hey, don't forget who your rock is. Don't forget where your strength comes from. Oh, we don't have that strength physically, but when we are in Christ, then we are hid in the cleft of the rock, and we are in Him, and He possesses that strength. And He says, hey, I just want you to know, there's nothing that worries me. You ever thought about that? There's nothing that worries God. We have lots of worries, don't we? We worry about everything. We worry if it's going to rain. We worry if it's not going to rain. 
We worry if it's going to snow. We worry if it's not going to snow. We worry if it's going to be warm outside. We worry if it's going to be cold outside. We worry about everything. We're afraid of so many different things. But God says, let me tell you something. Nothing worries me. Nothing intimidates God. Nothing, there's, there's no storm of life that you can go through. There's nothing that, you, that can happen in your life that God is just, oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. Oh, what am I going to do now? No, God says the strength of the hills is his also. He doesn't, he, he's not trying to gain strength. He just has it. It's just his. And we belong to him. Isn't that wonderful to know? His power, his knowledge, his power is amazing. There's nothing that you will go through that worries God. Because again, think about it. He is our rock. As we saw back up in verse number one, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And that word rock there is not just a little rock that you could get out across the street and throw. No, that's, that's that boulder. That's that cliff face, that mountain that is immovable. And because we have that salvation on the rock, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear because we are established on the rock. His power. Last week, we sang a few hymns as we were going through the first couple verses. I'd like to do that again this morning because this this psalm is a psalm of praise, of singing, of rejoicing in God. You say, Pastor, are you going to do this every week? No, I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know. But I think it just so aptly fits what the psalmist is saying. When we're thinking about the power of God, take take your songbook, if you have a songbook there in front of you there, and I want you to turn to page number 11. Page number 11. Again, he says, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And then as we're seeing this, in his hands are the deep places. The strength of the hills is his also. The knowledge and the power of God is something we ought to give him thanks for. In your songbook, number 11 is the song, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. We're going to sing this song together with me. Can we sing it together? I think most everyone knows it. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command, and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word, and then pronounced them good. 
Lord, how thy wonders are displayed Where'er I turn my eye If I survey the ground I tread Or gaze upon the sky There's not a plant or flower below But makes thy glory known And clouds arise and tempests blow By order from thy throne While all that borrows life from thee Is ever in thy care And everywhere that man can be, Thou, God, art present there. I sing the goodness of the Lord. No matter where we are in life, God's God's there, right? He's already there. Think about what he says in the next verse here, in in verse number 6 of Psalm chapter 95, or excuse me, verse number 5. The sea is his. And he made it, and his hand formed the dry land. Think about it. The expanse of the sea. The sea is his, and he made it. Think about how huge the ocean is. I mean, think about it. That the water covers 71% of Earth's surface. That's over 139 million square miles, just on the surface. Just the surface. If you were to try to cross the Pacific Ocean... Um, depending on the winds and things, it would take anywhere between five to ten weeks to cross the Pacific Ocean, depending on the winds. Can you imagine how how enormous the oceans are? The the expanse of it. We're just talking about the surface of it, right? And then you have all of that that's underneath. By the way, that's one of the reasons I don't like oceans very much. I get a little bit worried about all that that's underneath, <laughs> okay? Uh, I don't like to be able to not see what's underneath. I like to see what's there. But you think about it, all that's underneath, all, the, all of that, and God says, hey, I just want you to know, I made that. The expanse, his, his presence is everywhere. There, again, there's nowhere that God is not. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if Miss Julie's going to Ecuador. We think, oh man, how could Miss Julie go to Ecuador? For Do you know that God is just as much in Ecuador as he is right here? We get this idea that somehow God's not in places. It's kind of hard for God not to be in places. Oh, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can trust God over here because I'm not sure if he's going to be able to be there. Wait a minute. He's already there. He's just waiting on you to show up. When are you going to get there? He's already there. You know, we had missionaries that came into our missions conference going to uh, different countries around the world, South Africa and, uh, and, and Albania and Mexico and some of these other places. You think, man, how, how can they go there? Man, don't they know? I mean, these places are, are, are not good. They're not Christian nations or whatever. Aren't they afraid? Wait a minute. God's already there. God's there already. Sometimes we get this idea of, man, the only God is in certain places. Well, God's at church when I go to church. Well, that's true. I hope he's here when you come to church. But can I tell you, God's in your home too. God's at your workplace. God's in your car when you're driving out. He's everywhere. There is no place that God isn't. The expanse of God, just how great our God is. That's why he says, back up at verse number three, for the Lord is a great God. There's nowhere where you can run or hide or get away from God and be like, oh, oh, I I, I escaped God. He's already there. He was watching the whole way you were trying to escape and he's already there where you were trying to run.
You can't escape God. When you think about the expanse of the ocean, just how great it is, it's just, that's just a small example of the greatness of God, the magnitude of God, the presence of God. He's everywhere. You think about what he says at the end of verse number five. And his hands form the dry land. Think about it. Just look at creation. That's what it, this example is. It's, it's creation. Look at creation. How many different varieties do we have in creation? I mean, it would have been easy for God to say, you know what? I'm just going to create one animal. And it wouldn't have been a cat. That's for sure. Right? I'm going to create one animal. That's all. That's, he could have done that. But instead, he creates all these different animals. And yes, I know he created cats too. Okay. But I mean, all of these different varieties of animals, right? I mean, you look at, you look at birds, right? Amazing, beautiful creatures. You look, at, you look at the cardinals and the blue jays. You go to other countries and you look at, uh, you know, you look at these toucans that have weird looking beaks, you know, for fruit loops and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you look at, you look at all these different birds. You're like, what an amazing God that he could have just made one bird, one type of bird, but instead he makes all these different varieties of birds. I mean, you think about the ocean, it would have been easy and I probably would have appreciated if he would have just made one type of creature in the ocean. One fish, it can't hurt you. All right, I'm good with the ocean now. No, but there's all kinds of creatures in the oceans. I mean, not even just the fish and not even the whales and, and the sharks and things like that. But you got, I mean, all the way down to like the little mollusks and the sea cucumbers and the, and the little seahorses and all. The, I mean, why did he do this? Why? I mean, you look at the trees and you look at from the giant sycamores and, and to, the, to the little trees and you look at flowers and you look at roses and lilies and you look at all of the, 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 the diversity and, and the different types. Why did he do that? Because he wanted it? Because he thinks he needs it? No. He did it for us. Our God created all of that for us so that when we look at it, we understand that there is a God. And when we see what he can do, <laughs> oh my goodness, he deserves praise. He deserves our glory. He, he deserves our thanks because just look around and see what he's done. And he did it for us so that we could enjoy it. Do we praise it? Do we think of what he has done for us? You look at creation. I love what he says here. And his hands form the dry land. I, I, I know he's talking about creation back in Genesis where the Bible tells us that, there was, that the water was covering the earth and then God had to pull the, pull the waters back and he formed the dry lands. I, I get that. But he did that for us because he cares about us. Think about who our God is. I know the song is not in our songbook, but it's, it's one of my favorite songs, and we're just going to sing a couple of verses of it, but it's a song called Behold Our God. And just, again, as we're singing the song, just think about what we're talking, think about what the psalmist is saying with creation, and then as we sing these words, just think about the words as we sing and praise, give praise back to him. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. 
Behold our God, seated on His throne. Come, let us adore Him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Him. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of His words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King. Nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Him. He's our Creator. Isn't that amazing? He created all of this for us so that we could enjoy. He is our Creator. He deserves praise. He deserves thanks. But notice, not only is He our Creator, but notice in verse number 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We also see that he is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. Now, again, as we look at these verses, did you notice here's the third time that the psalmist says the word come. And again, the word, the word, this word come in English, we just think of come and it just kind of has one meaning. But in Hebrew, there was three different words that the psalmist uses in verse number one, verse number two, and now here in verse number six. And, and this word has a little different meaning than the first two. This one means to, to go in or enter in. Now, again, it's a little bit different than the others. The first one, back up in verse number one, is halak. It means to walk or to travel or to journey. And then in verse number two, the word come means that we can meet or we can appear in front of. We can appear in front of the the presence of God. We can come face to face with God and enter into his courts, the Bible tells us. But here, notice what he says in verse number six. Oh, come, let us worship. This one means to go in, and he says we are to go into worship. We're to worship, the word to adore, to, to pay divine honor to, to reverence with supreme respect and veneration, to worship him. And in fact, the, the word worship here literally means to fall absolutely prostrate on your face before God. We think of worship as lifting up songs and and singing, and that is a type of worship. But notice here, in this verse, all three of the verbs talk about our humbleness to God, our humility before God. We are to worship. We are to fall flat on our face. He says we are to bow down. We are to kneel before Him. All of it has to do with coming before our God and King in, in humbleness and adoration and reverence and offering Him our praise. You know what's so sad, though, and why many Christians won't offer him praise? Because we think we're too good. We're too good to sing songs about Jesus. That's not cool to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's not cool to come to church and sing when everybody else is singing. That's, 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 for, that's for, you know, you know those, that's for fanatics. 
hey, can I tell you something? If you're a Christian here this morning, one day you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to sing. You're going to praise him. So you might as well just get into practice now, right? Just get into practice now. Get in tune now so that when you get there, you're not cackling like a chicken or something, you know? I mean, get in tune now. You say, well, I just don't know how to sing. He doesn't say you have to sing perfect. He says, let us rejoice. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us worship him. Can I tell you, he doesn't care how your voice sounds. He's not asking you to sing on perfect pitch. He just says, I want you to worship me. I want you to worship me because of who I am. I'm your savior. I'm your God. I'm your king. I'm your creator. I'm your shepherd. Can we not worship him? Well, I'm just too good for that. Can I tell you, when we will humble ourselves and we will think about what God has done and we'll recognize who he is and that we are nobodies, we won't have any trouble humbling and praising him. We have trouble praising him when we think we're too good. That's what happens. We're too good. No, no, no. You ought to be flat on your face before a holy God in humble adoration, kneeling before him, bowing before him, just being thankful that we can even be in the very presence of God. Oh, we ought to praise him. To thank him for what he's done for us. He is our shepherd. Think about what he says. As we enter before him, we adore, we reverence him. We bow prostrate before him, who is our God our creator, our shepherd. There's, there's a great song, I think, that goes right along with this. If, if you go over to page number 13 in the songbook, page number 13, it's called Bow the Knee. And again, think about what, what he's saying. When we understand who we are and we understand who he is, it's not a problem for us to bow down before him. It's not a problem to, to kneel before him and say, God, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve any of it. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being our God and our creator. What a privilege to come into God's presence, it says. Just to linger with the one who set me free. We ought to be willing to bow the knee before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a privilege to come into God's presence Just to linger with the one who set me free. Lift my eyes and see his awesome glory. I remember who he is and bow the knee. Bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages, bow the knee. God alone on his throne, see him high and lifted up and bow the knee. Kneel before him, all adore him. As you live to love him more, bow the knee. In his hand he holds the power of creation. With his voice he spoke and all things came to be. Yet he hears each simple prayer I bring before him. 
When I humbly seek his face, bow the knee, bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages, bow the knee. God alone on his throne, see him high and lifted up and bow the Kneel before Him, all adore Him, as you live to love Him more, bow the knee. When you think about what He says in verse number 6, O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Think about what he's saying, his care for the sheep. Did you notice that? Did you notice just as he began, verse number four, with all of creation in his hand, he again emphasizes that we, his sheep, are in his hand. Think about that. He says all of creation is in his hand, but then he also says, hey, by the way, I want you to know there's something very special there as well that's even more important to me than all of creation. It's you and me. We're more important to God than all of creation. He came and and Jesus Christ came. He didn't die for creation. He died for men and women. He died for mankind because he cares about us. He loves us so much. He says, I want you to know, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I become your shepherd. And I take care of my sheep. Did you even notice there? Did you notice what he says there? Not only are we in his hand, but all the provision that we receive is from his pasture. Look what he says again. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You, You want God's care? You want God's provision? Stay in his pasture. Stay in his pasture. And what's so, what's so sad is the, the world has nothing to offer his sheep. And it's sad that so many of his sheep, so many Christians are searching for provision from other pastures. You know, it's that old saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Can I tell you, it's not greener on the other side of the fence. It's dead. That's what the other side of the fence has to offer is death. This side has life. Jesus Christ offers life. And he says, hey, I want you to know, if you stay in my pasture, I'm going to take care of you. You stay in my pasture, I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of. Why? Because you're my sheep and I care about you and I'm going to take care of my sheep. Not only are you my sheep, but I'm going to take care of you with my provision. It's his pasture. So many Christians are trying to find satisfaction from the pastures of the world and then still expecting God to bless them. That's not going to happen. You leave his pasture, you leave his care, you leave his provision. You can't expect God to continue to try to bless you. Why don't you just come back to his pasture? Why don't you come back to him? Listen to what he says. Get back in his pasture. Psalms 23 gives a very vivid picture of the shepherd's care for his sheep. We don't have time to to go through it. I think we're all familiar with it. As the psalmist David says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
What a great vivid picture of a shepherd taking care of his sheep. But even in John chapter 10 and verse number 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. We just, the, the berries just sang the song, hallelujah, Jesus saves. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the good shepherd. I gave my life for the sheep. I gave my life for you. Can we not praise him? Can, can we not trust him? Can we not understand that he wants to take care of us? Then this is what he's saying as we go on here. Think about what he's saying. Today, he says, if you will hear his voice, and the word hear doesn't mean just to listen. It means to hearken. It means to, to listen and then act upon it, to obey, right? If you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness. What's he doing? He's going back and he's talking about what happened when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, and God's saying, look, I, I, came to, I came to them in Egypt and I, I brought the ten plagues and I showed them that I was God and, and I delivered them and I brought them to the Red Sea. And when they came to the Red Sea and they said, okay, God, now what? God said, I'm the one that opened the Red Sea for them. I delivered them through the Red Sea. And when they came to the wilderness and they said, hey, we don't have food. God, now what? God said, I'm the one that delivered them. I brought food to them. And then when they were continuing through the wilderness and they said, hey, we don't have any water. What do we do now, God? God said, I'm the one that provided water for them. I provided for them through the, through the deliverance. I provided through the Red Sea. I provided food. I provided water. I provided victory over different enemies. And then when I brought them up to the promised land, after they had seen all that I had done, look what he says in verse number, verse number nine. When your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my work, he said, they saw everything that I did for them. And then I brought them to the promised land. And then what did they say? We can't trust you, God. We can't trust you. Those giants in there, are, they're, they're too big for you, God. These battles we're going to face, they're too big for you, God. We can't trust you, God. And God says, I showed them my works. I showed them my power. I showed them my provision. I showed them my care. And then they hardened their heart and they said, we can't trust you. You know, it's sad that there's a lot of Christians that way today. God says, I saved you. Amen. God says, I saved you. You couldn't save yourself. The church couldn't save you. Your good works couldn't save you. I saved you. And I've provided for you. And I've blessed you. And you can look back and you say, God did that for me. And 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 God says, okay, now I want you to step out by faith. You say, no, I can't trust you, God. He said, whoa, wait a second, wait a hold on. Did we not just forget what we've read here? Who our God is. He is our Savior. He's our King. He's our Shepherd. He's our Creator. Can I tell you something? You can trust Him. You can trust Him. And this is what he's saying. Would you, would you listen to me? Don't harden your heart. Just listen to me and trust me. Know that I care for you and I want what is best for you. The world has nothing for you. But I care for you. And I want what's best for your life. And yet, what do we do so many times as Christians? We listen to the world. We listen to the world. We think, oh, it really is greener over there. Oh, let me go, let me go try that. It looks like they're having fun over there. Let me, go, let me go over there and do that. Oh, yeah, let me, you know, hey, they're, they're, they're getting lots of things. They're getting lots of possessions. Man, it must be, that must be how to, how to have satisfaction. That must be how to have pleasure in life. I got to follow what they do. And God says, we, we stop listening to him and we go follow the world when they don't have the right God. They don't have a savior. They don't have a creator. They don't have a shepherd. They don't have anything. But yet we think somehow they have more than we do. 
And he says, hey, don't forget, I'm your God. I'm your Savior. I'm the Creator. I'm your Shepherd. Would you just trust me? Would you trust me? I care for you. I gave my life for you. Would you just follow me? Be obedient to me? You know what happened? Because they would not trust God. God led them to the promised land. They said, God, we're not going to trust you. And you know what happened to those people? For 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, wasting their lives. And at the end of their life, you know what they had to show for it? Nothing. Nothing. And you know, so many times, that's exactly what's happening to Christians. God, I can't trust you. So what happens? We just wander in the wilderness, wasting our life. Wasting our life. And at the end of our life, guess what we'll have? Nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. And when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll have nothing to show our King. Nothing to show our Savior. Well, I just couldn't trust you, God. No. It's not that you couldn't trust Him. It's that you wouldn't trust Him. Because He's proven that He can be trusted He's proven that he knows what is best. It's just, will we trust him or will we not? He's our Savior. He's done it all for us. And he's shown us what a Savior he is. As we finish this morning, I want you to turn to page number 286. 286. The song is titled, Hallelujah, What a Savior. What a Savior. I want you to think this morning when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior. We'd love to take the Word of God and show you today how you can be saved. Because a church can't save you. A religion can't save you. Your good works can't save you. It's only Jesus Christ. He's the rock of our salvation. Would you think of all the good things that God has done for you in your life? Think of the goodness of God. Think of how God is blessed. And now God is saying, would you just simply trust me? Would you trust me? Why don't you think of some of these things as we sing this song, 286, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Think about verse number three. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die, it is finished was his cry. 
now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When He comes, our glorious King, all His ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, that reminds us of your goodness. Lord, we can just look even at creation and see what an awesome God you are. Lord, you're a God that is not just awesome and amazing, but you're a God who cares and loves loves us. You're a God that sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. A God that says because of Jesus Christ that we can come boldly into your presence. The creator of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, allows us to come before him and give him praise. Lord, you're our shepherd. You care for us. You have a perfect plan and a purpose for our life if we'll just listen and follow you lord may we not harden our hearts as israel did in that day but as we look and see the goodness of god in our lives and what you've done lord may we say hallelujah what a savior may we love you more and serve you more with their heads bound and our eyes closed we're just going to stand quietly this morning no one looking about. The pianist is just going to play softly. Maybe this morning, can I encourage you? If you'd like to come and kneel here or right there in your, where you're standing, can we just praise Him and thank Him for who He is? For what a Savior. What a God that He cares for us. an amazing God we serve and he says come come into my presence who are we worthy of such privilege Praise Him for your salvation. Praise Him for the goodness that He showed in your life. And trust Him. Trust Him. He's the rock of our salvation. Storms don't worry Him. Trouble doesn't worry Him. 
and we can rest in him. He's your shepherd. bless you.